And we just bless him this morning. Thank you, you put a word on his heart. And uh, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would challenge us, and that your anointing and presence would rest on him as, uh, as he gives this word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you hear me? Is it working? Fantastic. We're all looking very good today. Within reason, so. Not everybody's looking good. But it must be fantastically wonderful to have me speaking to you this morning. I'm thrilled for you. I really feel quite excited for you. What I'm going to be talking about is grace and pride. But I'm going to talk about grace. But isn't that a lovely thing? I feel this morning that I prayed a prayer that God would give me the grace to speak to you. And it wasn't a massively long prayer. I just prayed, God, give me the grace. Give me your power to speak to the folks this morning. That's all I prayed. So I'm feeling confident that I'm going to deliver the word of God to you. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. And my theme, oh, there we go, is grace, my grace is sufficient for you. And I could have called it, the pressure is off. That's, that's another, another way of describing this talk. Right? But isn't it a wonderful thing when you feel that God loves you? And no matter what you do, God loves you anyway. Isn't it also nice when you feel that other people like you too, love you? Has that happened to you ever, Phil? Yeah, is it? it has. Interesting. <laughs> But isn't it lovely when people, you feel, see people, if you want someone to like you, the trick is this, let them feel that you like them, right? And you can fake it if you want to, you can, you can fake the sincerity on that, but when people start to feel you like them, they like you back. And for those who've got children, it's quite a learning experience, isn't it, for, for kids as they go from being very little. And they love you and like you. Did you discover that, those with, with children? And I remember my two boys in particular. My two boys always wanted to be with me. And they'd say, Dada, we, we just want to, wherever you go, Dada, we want to be with you. You know, we used to have this seat in our house. Um, it was in front of the telly. And it was just this. It wasn't a massive chair. It was just a chair. And I used to sit there with my two boys, and they used to call it the Dada Den. The Dada Den. And I'd sit there, and they'd sit under my arms, and we'd watch the telly together, the three of us. As they grew older, they'd still want to sit in the Dada Den. And it was becoming smaller and smaller. Until at the end, they were quite big, and I said, this is ridiculous, we're going to get injured here. You've got to get out of the Dada Den. Um, but as they became teenagers things slightly started to change. And those are little ones. I just want to warn, not warn you, but advise you that their attitude slightly changed. And I remember the day, uh, slightly changed. I'm not overdoing this. I remember the day, uh, clearly, and I said to Rainer and Elliot, I said, boys, I'm going to take you fishing today. It's going to be, oh. And normally they'd say, oh, wow, come on, Dada, let's go. But I remember that day and there was a slight pause. And they said, well, we're doing something else today. And it really hit me hard. I thought, man, it's come. <laughs> They're moving away. And they said, we're going out with James Fee. <laughs> I thought, what? Yeah, we're, we're going out with Shane McCarthy. And I, I said, oh. 
I said, hang on a minute. Don't you want to come with me? I said, no, it's... But then, you know, they're nice boys and they could see the sort of hurt in my eyes. And they said, I tell you what, we'll come up with you. I thought, no, I'm not a charity case here. <laughs> if you want to go out with James Faye and Shane Mc... Off you go. But things change, don't they, with teenagers. And then, not speaking out of turn, but they become grumpy. Right? I don't know why, I haven't done anything wrong half the time. They become really annoying and they're annoyed with you. And in this situation, this is my advice to those who are, will be facing this. In this situation, what you've got to do is buy a dog. Right? You've got to buy a dog. Because when you come home from work, at least somebody's there happy to see you. It's a fact. A dog is always chuffed to see you. Isn't it? You know the love is flowing back from your dog. I've got two dogs. And whenever I get from work, they're just running up to me. Wonderful. And before I go to bed, they love me. And even in the middle of the night, when I've gone down and have a cup of water, three o'clock in the morning, a little eye opens in the kitchen, a little tail starts to wag. <laughs> Not furiously, but it's thinking, what? this is weird, what's he doing down here? But it's chuffed to see me. And do you know what? In the kingdom of God, um, I'm not trying to belittle this, but I know this, that God loves me so much that I can feel free in it. Isn't that a great place to be? Let me put some slides. Let's put something up here. Now, there's three stages in being a Christian. I'm not trying to get all technical here now. But justification is when we become a Christian. Now, the point is this. Grace exists in all three stages. Justification is this. You become born from death into life. And you are born from death into life through grace. Nothing else. Yeah. Look at some verses. But grace doesn't stop there. Grace continues into sanctification. And that's the process of us becoming more like Jesus. And that's grace as well. And then there's glorification when we become with Jesus himself. So that's when we die or we get lifted to heaven or what. So there's three, three stages. But the problem is... Some folks think that grace is all about just that. Grace is only for non-believers, right? And that you become saved. God raises you from, from death to life by his grace. But when you come through the portals of the Christian life, through the, into the kingdom, it's as if, for some people, grace stops. And the works, that's probably, probably for me, isn't it? Tell them I'll, I'll call them back later. Grace. grace. <laughs> See the grace? Um, but as if when you go through the doors into the kingdom, somebody says to you, it's great to have you in the club here, right? And you got in for free. But here's the rule book. Did you know about the rule book? Cop a lot of that. Bang. And you think, hang on, where was the grace thing? I'm suddenly now in the element of I've got to tick some boxes. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at this a bit more closely. But this is, a, this is justification. Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says, By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now take a look at that verse. Is there anything in that verse which says that you've got to do something difficult to get it? Yeah? Is there anything there? No? So we get it free. True? Another one. 
Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So we're in the kingdom and we've done nothing to deserve it. Isn't that fabulous? So in a sense, the pressure is off. Jesus said, my burden is light, my, my yoke, no, my, my yoke is light, my burden is, what did he say? Yeah, light and easy. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. You still have practices, can't you? Um, so what is it all about? Do you find, I find life at times quite pressurizing and difficult. I don't know how you find it. But the Bible says you will have trouble in life. So what I'm going to tell you today is that God's grace is sufficient to get you through this stuff. All right? Now, this is a great story. Mephibosheth, right? Mephibosheth. Now, this is all about David, and this is a picture of the grace of God towards us. Now, David's great enemy was Saul, and Saul spent his time trying to kill David off, and Saul was defeated and died. And David's great friend was Jonathan. They were bosom buddies, yeah? And when these guys departed this life, David quite incredibly, sought out all of Saul's relatives so that he could do something good for them. Now, isn't that weird? He said, right, I want to go down and do something good. And he found this poor chap who was Jonathan's son, who'd been crippled from the age of five in both feet. And he did something wonderful for him. He said, look, I'm going to pay you back because you are the son of Jonathan, my great friend. And he brought him into his household, into the king's household, and let him sit at the table and treated him just like one of his sons. Now, some rulers would have looked upon that and thought, right, my enemy, I'm going to wreak revenge on all of the relatives of my enemy. And that's what happens. I don't know if you ever watch the Godfather movies. You probably all do, don't you? When you watch the Godfather movies, what you do we know? Um... What happens is the families in the Godfather stuff, they get rid of anybody who's linked to the other families. So there's a wholesale slaughter, a bloodbath. But this is the grace of God. This is David showing how Jesus and God is with us. He just forgives our sins and calls us into his kingdom. So, folks, the pressure is off our lives because we've been accepted And we've done nothing for it. Now, the problem is this. Once we enter the kingdom, a certain form of legalism can come. It's a fact. Not always, but it's a fact. It says here, Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We have freedom in Christ to live God gives us choices and even when we make mistakes God still loves us and that's the point otherwise we come into the kingdom by grace and then we live the Christian life through works and through fearing that we're not ticking the boxes and we're following this rule book somebody's given to us it's like buying a timeshare do you know what I mean by a timeshare it's like if me, me and Phil here, we decide to buy a timeshare in Mexico. 
some reason. We want to wear the sombreros and drink tequila. Okay. And then we, we've got this thing and we bring Kev and Julian and we're all, all of us, we're going to go down to Mexico, El Paso, and have a lovely time over there with the old hats and things. And then we sign up. We sign up and we are thrilled. And we've, Phil's going to go in, Jan, I don't know, when are you going to go? July. Kev's going to go in August. I'm going to go in September. And we, we rotate it like that. And we sign up. We get over there. And we find some bloke sort of working on the house. And I say, who are you? He says, I'm, I'm Pedro. Didn't you know? I said, no. He says, I'm charging you every month for me to clean the windows and stuff and cut the grass, such as it is. I said, well, I didn't sign up for that, actually. But it's too late, mate. You've signed. And now here's the bill. All right? That is how some folks live their Christian lives. They're in the kingdom. And they're ticking the boxes. And the pressure that was taken off them suddenly becomes on them. And they feel the weight of condemnation because they're not getting everything right. That's not grace. That's works. That is the yoke of slavery coming back on you. You've got to resist it. You're not living by grace. You're not living in the power of God. Here's another one. Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? There's a danger in suddenly walking in the flesh again. And pressures come from other Christians. So what's the answer to all of this? Do you think Paul is suggesting that because we live in freedom, anything goes? We're under no combination any, condemnation anymore. So we're free, so we can live as just as we want to. That's not true either. And Paul started to be criticised by other Christians for suggesting that there's a mass liberalisation of our behaviour. He says this, Romans 6, 1 to 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? See, the whole point is this. When we become Christians, the, the, the mark of God is in us and grace brings us to change and sanctify us like Jesus. But it's not because we're ticking all the rules or we're following the rule book. It's through love of God that we become more like him. That's the key. Therefore, I urge you, Romans 12:1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, if you have God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And that is the key to living in grace, to offer yourselves to God. And the process of sanctification will come. You become more Christ-like. You want to please the Lord. You want to live a holy life. Going back to my kids again. Now, through the teenage years, they come out of it. And the harassment start to sort of abate a little bit. Right? And I know this, that when they want to do things, when they do things for me, they want to do things for me because they care about me. I see it. If I'd been bashing them on the head all of their lives with this rule book and being a really punitive dad, I know and I feel in my heart they wouldn't be coming to me now yeah. wanting to please me. Yeah. And that's how it is with God. That's how it is with God. 
I want to please him. So my love of the law becomes in my heart. Because it's something I want to do. Not because somebody is screaming at me to get it right. And that's the difference. That's freedom. It's my choice. And I can get it right if I want to. So we stop sinning. And there's lots of stuff in. I know we, we talk about freedom, but Paul talks about order. And in church meetings, there's order which we should have. Otherwise, it'll be like a cattle market, a free for all. Paul says this is how you should conduct meetings. He also says things like if there are in those, those people who are in the church who are in sin and refusing to come out of it, they should be removed. Now, where's the, the grace bit in that? How can you live in freedom? And then Paul is saying, get rid of these guys if they're in sin. How does sin and freedom live together in harmony? Well, we've got some indications of this from the life of King David. King David was one of those beloved servants of God. He's called a friend of, of God. Not many people were called that. And he had a heart after God much more than anyone, probably. And he was passionate about God. But he took a massive fall, didn't he? I mean, inc- incredibly overwhelming. What he did was this. He committed adultery with a lady, Bathsheba. But worse than that, he had her husband, Uriah, murdered. How low can you get? (laughs) And this is a chap who really loved the Lord. So what does this tell us? It tells us that we need to live close to God. And when we fall, there's a message in this story from Psalm 51, on how David coped with it. It's not as if he came clean. He kept this secret to himself for some time. And it's only when Nathan the prophet came to him with an allegory about a lamb that he pointed out that God knows what's in your heart. So was David totally abolished from the kingdom of God for this? From this dreadful crime of adultery but murder? No, he wasn't. And God restored him into his kingdom. And the keys are in this psalm. He says this. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? I I would have thought Bathsheba's husband would have had something to say about all of this. But it's only against God he sinned. So what David is saying, my walk, my important thing is my walk with you. And then he goes on. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. And this is the key. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is the grace of God. I've fallen. And I want you, God, to create you to do it, this new heart in me and when times get tough i need some steadfastness i need the ability to keep it going i can't do it in my own strength and that's david saying this create a pure heart of god and renew a steadfast spirit within me and then he says down here this is another key my sacrifice O god is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart you god will not despise so when we sin when we fail when we step out of line 
even in our secret private places, God wants us to come to him with a contrite heart. It's not a rule book. This is relationship. All will sin. We will all sin, but God wants us. So do you think that when you sin, God's in a mood with you for a little while? He's in a bit of a grump. I hate moody people. That's one of my hates. I hate them. I can't, I want, if people are moody, there's got to be a reason for it. I don't know, something horrible has happened. But I like people just to be normal. Because I I am really, I tend to be the same every day. My wife will agree with me on this. I can be a bit grumpy when I'm tired, but there's got to be a reason for it. But some people are grumpy for no reason. And I find that very odd. But God is the same all of the time. That's the wonderful thing. You can go to him. So when you sin, it's not as if he's in a mood with you. And you've got to let time pass until he's calmed down a little bit. It's not like that. This guy here, David, did something dreadful. And he got close to God again. By praying, I've got a contrite heart, a broken heart, and God does not despise that. I'll give an example of this. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. I've done a bit of barristering in my time, he says. I've been a bit of a barrister. And um, the guys who are at the men's breakfast know this story. I'm just going to exemplify some of the things here today. And I was in court. I was in Bristol. And I was representing this guy. He said he was innocent. And what he'd done, well, allegedly, he ran amok on a bus. He just went do lally on a bus into the city centre. And when he got into the city centre, he carried on with his running amok in the city centre. And he caused a lot of damage to certain people. I won't say what it was. It was pretty grim stuff. He's psychotic, really, this guy. He was, a, he was the weirdest person that I've ever dealt with. But he said he was innocent. So I'm representing him. And I'm in court, and um, I won't tell you the whole story, but I was in court. And the bus driver had seen him do this stuff on the bus. Okay? And I thought to myself, how on earth can you be driving a bus and watching this guy doing his stuff, on the bad stuff on the bus? It doesn't make any sense. Right? So I get the bus driver in the witness box. And I tell you now, I was, I was fantastic that day. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to show off here, right? I'm just, I'm, we're family, I'm just telling you how it was. I, was. I was really, really good that day. <laughs> and I had this guy, and I really put him under pressure. I said, listen, I said, look, you say you saw my client do this thing. He said, absolutely. I said, you're a liar, aren't you? He said, no, I'm not. And he started getting really hot in the collar. I don't know why, but he just was. <laughs> and I said... So you saw him do this step. You should have been watching the road, shouldn't you? He said, no. I said, yes, you should. And he started getting really annoyed. And I thought, this is going well. He's losing it. And I said, and you know what? You should have been watching, not looking in your rear view mirror, but watching what was going on in the road, not staring at what my client, you say, was doing. And I started going on like this. And anyway, the other barrister comes over to me. She says, she says Mike, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean I'm going to jump? Cross-examining the bus driver. She said, Mike, that's not the bus driver. <laughs> I said, no. I said, who's that? She says, just some bloke on the bus. <laughs> no. The courtroom is full. I mean, there's the press is there. This is, this is slightly embarrassing. Right? 
So I said, I said, oh, now, what should I have done at that point? If you were me, would you have sat down, put your head in your head in your hands and just wailed? Would you have? And thought, what an absolute plonker. But, you know, we operate under grace, don't we? And when we screw up, we can say to the, the judge, well, Your Honour, I'm okay because God's forgiven me. Can't we say that? It's all right, isn't it? God's forgiven me. I've never tried that yet, but I'm sure it's a winner. But I just want to say this. When you do screw up, when you do screw up, you will still suffer the consequences of what you do. It's a fact. God doesn't absolve you from driving down the motorway the wrong way and having an accident. He says, Mike, I forgive you if you come to me with a contrite heart, but you've still still got to face the magistrates. And saying God forgives me is never going to work. Anyway, back to my court case. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So I stand back and I said to, the, uh, said to this poor chap who's really red in the face, I said, uh, you must find some of my questions perplexing. <laughs> I did. You must find these things perplexing. He said, I do. I said, <laughs> I understand you're not the lorry driver. No, you're not the bus driver. He said, I'm not. I said, well... Well, why didn't you tell us first of all, then? <laughs> Wasting court's time like this. And, you know, he apologised. <laughs> Can you believe? He said, I'm sorry. I said, I should think so. <laughs> the stuff they teach you in bar school, honestly. I said, I should think so. Right, let's get on. Now, afterwards, I saw him afterwards. I went up to him and I said, look, I'm really sorry about that. I made an absolute cock up there. So I'm really sorry. I said, I thought you were the bus. He said, I'm not a bus driver. I said, look, I'll just give you my apology. And he said, don't worry. He said, don't worry. He's very gracious about it. But the point is this. You cannot, you cannot afford just to live in the doldrums. You must keep a close walk with the Lord because God is there to forgive you. And that's the point. Right? Keep close relationships with him because God will forgive you now we talked about talking about Paul here in a moment let's just cover that off there how does grace operate in our lives today is it just as we go through into the portals into the kingdom that God accepts us and saves us there's more to that grace operates continuously because we suddenly don't become worthy in our own right. We still need the Lord. Right? And that's, that's a fact. And Paul says this. Well, God said this to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. And we'll look at this in a moment. But this aspect of sufficiency, when you go to the Lord, God will give you the grace you need to cope with what you're going through. Okay? It's like I've got a little um, foster boy called Jordan. Lovely little chap. And I have this battle, battle with him in the mornings, not always. Well, he loves, he loves choco-wheats cereals. And he rams his choco-wheat cereals in his cereal bowl. And he's rammed so much in there. It's like the lead in the Tower of Pisa. And I say, Jordan, listen, there's so much, many choco-wheats in it. Where are you going to put the milk? 
He says, all right. And he puts the milk in. He sloshes everyone. I said, look. I said, look. You, don't ne- you just need enough chocolate wheats to get you to lunchtime. You've got a month's worth here. Right? <laughs> and I say, and I'm very spiritual, I say, the chocolate wheats are sufficient for you. Right? <laughs> I'm very spiritual about stuff. You need enough chocolate wheats, which is sufficient for you. And I take it back out. The milk is redone. And that's all he gets. He gets enough to get him to lunchtime, not till the end of November. Right? Now, God does the same for us. Now, let's look at this. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul, in Corinthians, he says that, and he speaks in the third person. He says that, I know a man who was taken to the third heaven. No, the man was him. And he said, this man, being Paul, saw some amazing sights. He heard amazing things and amazing revelations. And God, and he goes on to say this, realized that these sights and these these revelations could have made me proud. And so God allowed a thorn in the flesh to come to Paul to keep him from being proud. And Paul says, I asked of God three times for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. We don't know what that thorn was. Whether it's a physical affliction, whether it's, I don't know, a problem from somebody. But God said, no, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you to cope with it. Now, Paul had a whole history since being a Christian of living hardships. He was shipwrecked, almost drowned, beaten, put in prison, hungry. You name it, that poor guy suffered it. This thorn in the flesh was what he was most concerned about. So it must have been pretty, I don't know, upsetting for him. But he carried on with it. Now, we could argue that when God gives us stuff, we want it to give it abundantly, don't we? You know, why should God only give me sufficient for what I re- need right now? We'll look at this in a moment. And what's amazing to me, sometimes I've... I've um, been in charge of the music group. I've come along on a Sunday morning and I've ran the music, you see. And I've had a little practice with the band. And oftentimes it's gone okay. You know, we've practiced. But sometimes I've come in for a little practice and it's been an absolute shambles. I've come in. <laughs> I've brought some songs. Nigel's smiling. I don't know why he's smiling about that. <laughs> I've I, I brought some songs and some of the songs... I didn't even know, and I was hoping someone else would know them, and they didn't. And I've sang the song with a wrong tune. Sometimes I've discovered that the, the words don't go up on the screen, and the microphones don't work, and ten minutes, and everybody's turning up, and it's been an absolute shambles. Sometimes it's been so bad, I've stood aside on my own and just laughed and thought, this is so bad, it's, it's, it's funny. You know, it's funny. <laughs> no one else was laughing, but, but I was. But... Do you know, on those occasions, and this is the honest truth, those occasions where it's been slightly shambolic, the Holy Spirit has come, and the worship has been the most amazing. I thought, perhaps I could work this in as a formula. (laughs) I could just turn up deliberately shambolic, hoping it'll just flow. I don't think that would work somehow. But what is that all about? I believe this. That at that point in time, when I've realized this is going to be a disaster, I pray, God, help me. Please help me. Let this be okay. And I believe the grace of God has just come down and taken it out of my hands. And bing, bang, boom, it's been brilliant. Another thing, 
I sometimes go to London on on a le- I do some legal stuff in London. I got to go to Holborn, and I catch a very very early train, and I get home very late at night. I do it about two or three times a month, and I f- although I've done it many times, I still find it difficult. I still find it difficult. And as I'm going, I'm getting off at Waterloo Station. I'm feeling quite jittery, thinking I've got a I've got a really difficult position here right now, and I feel jittery. I feel very underconfident. And I just stop every single time. God, help me, please. Give me a grace to get me through this day. And I can honestly say, every time I've prayed that, God's grace has come through. And I've had a great time, a great day. Despite the fact that the next time I go to London to do this legal thing, I'm jittery again. And I'm nervy again. And I'm worried. And I'm, I don't sleep the night before. It's... Um, But God's grace is sufficient. That's the whole point. So why does God give us what is sufficient? Why doesn't he just flow down all this stuff? Thinking about the music. Why doesn't? When I say to God, God, I'm doing the guitar today. I borrowed my son's guitar. I just want you to let my guitar playing be off the edge brilliant today. And God says, who do you want to be? Jimi Hendrix or Keith Richard? I say, Keith Richard today. It never works. I've tried it. It, I I don't know if you've noticed. (laughs) But it's never worked so far. But God gives me the grace sufficient. He doesn't need a Jimi Hendrix guitar solo, which lasts 25 minutes in the middle of the service. He just wants me plunking away and strumming away. That's sufficient for his purposes. Why does God do this? I'll tell you why. There's some keys here. Okay, look at this. Second Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And that is a word going to Paul, the most able and equipped Christian speaker, an apostle. He's saying to Paul, I don't want you to live in your own strength, as it happens. As it happens. Um... Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Would you say you delight in insults and hardships? Yet. I haven't got there yet. I can't say that's true of me yet. But who knows, one day. I will see it the way Paul sees it. That I walk in the grace of God and not in my own strength. Because when you start to do that, the pressure comes off you in life. Look at this here. Deuteronomy 8, 2, 3. Now remember the Jews. They wandered through the, the desert for 40 years. And God gave them enough food for the day. He gave them manna for that day. And even if they tried to save manna and keep it for the next day, it rotted and got, and got rid of. What God did was this. He humbled them. He caused them to hunger and feeding them with manna. And to tell them, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, what he was saying was this. You need to live by my power. And the grace we have for today is God's enabling power. It's Holy Spirit who equips us to get through what we need to get through. So if we need grace just to get through the day... That's what you pray for. And you will get the grace to get through that day. If you've got a bigger problem, 
whatever that might be, God's grace is enough to get you through that problem. If you've got a grievous problem, some really terrible heartache, don't despair. Because God's grace is sufficient for you to get through that. And the enemy will say, do you know what? You ain't going to cope with this. Because this is so heavy, I'm going to pound you. And your life is not going to be the same. That's a lie. God wants us to be tethered to him tightly. For him to take us. And that's when the pressure leaves us. Otherwise, we walk on our own strength. Agreed? Otherwise, we are sort of living by grace. But really, we're living by works. And that's when we feel the pressures. I can honestly say, those times in London, when I'm feeling jittery, nervy, underconfident, tired, and I've said, God, help me, just before I go on and do this thing, the peace of God comes on me. And within 10 minutes, I'm flowing. And God's with me. So that's it, folks. That's my little word, really. It was brilliant, wasn't it? I haven't finished yet. There's more. There's more. There's more. So let's just recap. (laughs) There's more. Let's just recap. Grace is not just about entering the kingdom. It's not just for the sinners. It's for us. right? The sanctification that we will experience comes from God. And it's not by works. It's not by following somebody's rule book. It comes when we start to love God and we start to let go. Now this church, the Lighthouse, don't we want this church to be an accepting, loving church? I believe we're going to grow in numbers. We're starting to grow in numbers. People are going to come into this church who are different to us, who are needy, who are down at heel, who are struggling. And the grace of God helps us. Look, Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, it's God's stolen people, holy and dearly loved. That's the point. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In other words, let the attributes of grace flow through you. Because you've not deserved it. It's coming to you. Let it flow out of you. And that is it. That's really it. Thank you. Um, if anybody uh, feels touched by this morning, any particular prayer that you need, then um, the pastoral team. Where's the pastoral team? Would you like to stand so people can see who you are? Gather up front then. Good idea. Um, anybody uh, would like prayer, then the pastoral team are happy to pray with you. Um, if you want to come down the front or at the sides, then, yeah, after when coffee's being served, we can, we can do that. I've just got a little announcement.